I just ate my clown. I'm about to get funny, so you should start, yeah? You ate a clown? Yeah. I'm gonna be extra funny for you. Just for you to be awesome. Yeah! <laughs> Fuck! Speaking of clowns, I saw a, uh, some ESP custom that was done with Pennywise on it. Was that actually a series of them? Um, oh, no. It just might have been like a signature for, for Fletcher from Pennywise. It was like the Pennywise clown and shit. Oh, the Pennywise clown. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a full, Pennywise like, the band. carnival theme and shit. And the way the ESP was done at the top was like painted in a carnival kind of theme. It was fucking what? badass. Was it a Kirk Hammett special? Uh, it was like an M2 style, but no, it wasn't a Kirk Hammett. Oh, okay. Like this dude had gotten it. It was like new guitar day on his post and shit. And I was like, God damn, it didn't have a Floyd or a, you know, trim on it. So I, you know. Well, yeah. How do you do like that? I, with How do you, that's hard for paint jobs. You know what I mean? So I guess, still, whatever. Just lose that. It might've just been, well, it just might've, it, it just might've been um a custom he, he ordered. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like Sick a one-off. One. You know what I mean? If it was a series of them, I want to snag one. We know a guy. At ESP? Oh, yeah, I know a guy. You know a guy there, too. They're good guitars. I like them. So, welcome to the episode. Um, so, we should probably introduce ourselves. What are you smoking? Uh, just some, some, one of the things you sent me, one of the cards oh. you sent me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the cards uh, from your company that, that I acquired <laughs> somehow. It ain't my fucking company. Well, whatever. <laughs> It's you, just, you, you have something to do with filling these things, all right? Yeah. It's just a sauce cart. You got a sauce yeah. cart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, Dave. How you doing? The Afghanistan Podcast, episode number... Nine, I I don't think? even know. I, I don't even nine. know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> nine. My name is Warren. Although we you don't even are... know when we drop these things. <laughs> yeah, who cares? My name is Warren. Your name is David Bonvillain. I'm David Bonvillain. You're Warren. I'm Warren. Yes. And collectively, we are stoned. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> the Dabganistan podcast. Yeah, yeah. We are the Dabganistan podcast. Our producer, too, but he will remain nameless. Although I think I dropped his name like last like, episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've said his name a few times. Whatever. He, he, pretty sure he wants to remain nameless, though. That's relatively nameless. He'll be the, the mystery behind the curtain. We'll do an episode that focuses on him one day because we'll get questions soon. Who is this mysterious producer? We're going to introduce you better today too, huh? We're going to get into a little of your background and shit. Sure, if you want to. I'm open to questions. What do you want to know? You'll be like a guest. I don't know. Let's talk in a minute. What have you been doing this week? Uh, I've, been, I've been doing stuff I can't really talk about, so. <laughs> Working though. Sort of. Uh, sort of. Signed the NDA, so I can't really talk about it. You got some NDA work. Super secret. It's like government shit. I know what you're working on. It's all circling around the internet. All the Listen. secret shit. You're up in there deep, aren't you? NDA. Bro. <laughs> My name ain't Maxwell. <laughs> oh, that's the chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. I'm smoking some four-way. Oh, yeah? I'm about to light up some... Uh, what's this, Dave? I don't know. OG? It's San Fernando OG that oh, I acquired Oh, you got somehow. legit OG? Yo, legit OG. I just kind of went like this, Dave. Look. And plucked some out of the air, right? Yeah. 
So you're off that zombie. You still got some zombie left? I still got a little zombie left. <laughs> I got some other strain called Blue Cookies now. Jesus, the Blue Cookies are legit. Um, oh, it's not, it's not legit Blue Cookies. It's New York Blue Cookies, right? It's I mean, a little darker. It's, listen, it's a little darker and it comes with a lot of seeds. <laughs> That's the good shit when it comes to seeds, man. Those are worth something, dude. You should start a seed company. Listen, when, uh, when you go to Thailand, when you get weed in Thailand, you, it's, it's uh, black haze, right? It's kind of like what I smoked in India, black haze. Yeah, it's black. all black and gross. Yeah. Oh, it's because there's it's dirt, actually right? Some dark, there's <laughs> some, there are some black Asian strains. There's like a black uh, Vietnamese black that goes really dark. It's like a dark, dark purple. Yeah, but they're, really they're, they're all like, yeah, and they're real, and they're real dirt tasty, right? Because they, well, they still like bury their weed in dirt. You know what I mean? It's a weird way of curing. The Africans do that shit too, at least in Malawi. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. It's like a way Brazil, of curing. Brazil? Yeah. Well, in Brazil, they do it to hide the massive smell as well, right? Because you can't have like a field of weed in like Brazil. You know what I mean? Like you'll get fucking killed basically, right? So huh. it's like deeply compressed and compact, right? Yo, is uh, Cobra Kai on Netflix yet? Have you checked? Uh, no, it's not. Yeah. Oh, it's I just mean, the end of July, though. So, I mean, if our if my theory is correct, they should drop tomorrow. It it could it could hit tomorrow. It yep. could hit Netflix tomorrow, tomorrow. Saturday. Yeah, it could happen. So, check this, dude. We were talking. The producer, uh, you know, everybody's heard us ranting around about Karate Kid for a while, uh, and there's a theory that it was that dude's video on the internet that actually started the whole thing, right? And he was just kind of making a spoof. It was a fucking joke. And then it blew up and got, you know, seen, you know, six billion times. Um, and I'm calling bullshit on that. Like, actually, our producer forwarded us an article that uh, had some of that shit in it. Two years prior, somebody forwarded me a link. And in How I Met Your Mother with, uh, I'm spacing Doogie Howser's real name. Um, Patrick something? Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris, yeah. Yeah, yeah, MPH. <laughs> He's a funny motherfucker, bro. He's fucking hilarious. Uh, <clears throat> so I never really watched that show or anything. I went ahead and watched the episode. Circa 2013, they have mm -hmm. Ralph Macchio come on the episode. And, okay. uh, I mean, it's a whole fucking thing. But he rants about that it was an illegal kick and that Ralph Macchio isn't the real karate <clears throat> kid. The real karate Ralph, kid. Ralph Macchio rants this? or, or No, Neil no, uh, MPH. Okay. <laughs> like Ralph Macchio walks in as the karate kid and he's like, he's not the fucking karate kid. Like, and loses his shit and goes on this whole tirade about Johnny. And I can't remember the actual actor's name that plays Johnny. Johnny's in it at the end though. It's fucking William Zabbitt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so are you saying that Doogie Housers started this? No, I'm saying it definitely was not started in 2015 by that video, because if it was in that show in 2013, it was already been like some kind of popular culture theory myth sort of thing that had been going he, on for years that, before. That he, picked up, he, that he picked up on and like kind of blew it up on TV? Because I don't think it was MPH. The MPH wasn't a writer on that show. It was whoever the writers on that show were, which then, you know, they had heard it someplace else. And so do, do we have to do a little more research? Maybe mm -hmm. the writers for Karate Kid were the writers for that, that um, show for that season, right? Well, that's a or the writers for uh, Cobra Kai may that, yeah. have actually been writers for that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. 
dude. That could, yeah, I mean, it's. Deep. I mean, <laughs> oh, look at that, bro. He's got, bro. He's got a Cobra Kai outfit on. He's a he's a Cobra Kai man. What, yeah, so what if what if he comes in as Ali's husband? NPH. Yeah, he NPH plays Ali's husband. Be on uh, Cobra Kai. That would be awesome. I mean, I'm just thinking that right now, right? I just came up with that right now. Like he's 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 Ali's husband, right? Because he's a doctor. You know what I mean? The background on that clip that was when uh, Johnny appeared at the on the episode of How I Met Your Mother. It's fucking hilarious. I gotta I gotta watch it. I think you said it to me. I just have to have to. Watch I mean, it. I watched. So it costs a couple bucks if you're gonna watch it on YouTube or whatever. Um, you know, you can. Well, no, be, I kept my well, I kept my YouTube premium. Still, account. it costs a couple bucks. Like it's a pay episode. Oh, okay, okay. Unless you have Hulu, right? Like I, I don't have Hulu. I think you can watch it on Hulu because. Hulu should we? Uh, hey, should we start a GoFundMe account for this? <laughs> just so that we can watch these fucking pay episodes. We yeah. should. We should actually. It's tough times out there. It's tough on the street. For a good cause, right? We, we mean, need six bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, I mean, I bet you it'd get funded pretty quick at six bucks, man. Somebody's gonna kick you the whole six, even. You may just have one very generous donor. I mean, I know dudes like with jobs that still have GoFundMe accounts, right? So <laughs> I mean, it's, a thing. it's a thing. I'm saying. I still have a job, sorta, and I could still like you could throw up a GoFundMe. They don't qualify whether actually you need the money. I mean, <laughs> it's all about I whether quit. or not somebody else is going to give it to you, <laughs> right? That's how that shit works. It's like I mean, is your pitch good they, enough to make you give me money without questioning who the fuck I am or what the fuck it is that I'm doing or how much money I may have, and to be able to do this myself, <laughs> I'm asking for it from you. Well, I'm just assuming all this stuff, right? So. <laughs> I'm assuming I see pictures of you on Instagram, so I assume you have a lot of money, right? So, oh, of course, I am fucking loaded. Most of my money is right back there. I keep it in hard assets. Bro, you spend, you spend, you spend it before you even get it, bro. Yeah, it keeps me hustling harder. <laughs> it's called eating with your eyes, bro. Yeah, dude, it keeps the hustle on. If you know that, like, oh, shit, I'm going to be in deep. If I don't hustle hard and be able to pull this off, you tend to pull shit off. It's amazing how it works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's a childish strategy, but, you know. It works. I mean, whatever, right? Yeah. Did you check out? I checked out some more of the Oculus, Oculus shit. I didn't actually make it to any of the venues, but there are, it, it all depends on the week as to who's streaming what. And actually, some of them look like they were more interactive shit, like the um, – uh, the Comic Con or some shit had like some sort of interactive thing. I'm curious. Was that was that filmed more recently though? That, that's my that, look, that my whole question guess. is like if it's an, if it's old footage, right? Then how do you make it like <clears throat> three sixty or you're not. you know what I mean? You're like watching a movie. I'm okay. telling you, it's just interactive because there's another dude sitting next to you with another Oculus on that may be in New York or wherever, and me and Warren are hanging out in a movie theater. So can you actually, like, talk to yeah. the other person? Yeah. Isn't that dis disrupting the show, though, or no? Uh, yeah, it can. And then people can move away. Like, if they're like, yo, shut up. Like, people... And, and, you, and you said you can get kicked out, right? Like... Yeah, there are definitely people can complain. You can also just go solo mode, right? So like our producer is would never want to talk to anybody ever or even see that they were there. So you can go solo mode and everything. Like ghost quiet. mode or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and you're just there. But that it's intended to be social. That's part, like they're definitely pushing it towards Ready Player One shit. Okay, makes sense. 
you know, you need, you know, to be able to run and, you know, the video games where you move around make me fucking nauseous. I don't know if it's just because I'm old now. I, I, honestly, I've never, re- <clears throat> I've never really um, tried like, you know, that whole VR thing, right? I've done like the little ride at the mall, right? With my kid. Never, see, I haven't done that. Maybe. Like, you know, you put it on. Those and, like, quest goggles like, you know, are pretty fucking legit. No, no, it's legit. I mean, dude, I, I did one like, I think it was this past Christmas where I, I literally got motion sick. Right, because it was like one of these roller coaster Santa rides. Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you were some doing them, all this, and I was like, make you make you feel like you're gonna fall down. Some of them, the ones where like, so they just released some kind of first person shooter thing, and I'm curious. Like it looks fucking awesome, but it looks like it's gonna make me vomit too. Like you're moving around, like you're literally holding your controllers with a rifle and shit, and rolling through a place, and it's like you're not actually moving anywhere. So your body starts to register it really strange. So you. You're basically training kids to be killers. Yeah, yeah, soldiers. Soldiers, dude, not killers. Come on. What do soldiers do, bro? Well, it's different when you're killed. Those are, you don't think about it the same way when you're a soldier killing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, a killer is like a murderer, right? You're just, you know, violently going around fucking murdering people. The innocent. Video, video games had nothing to do with that, though, right? No, man, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here, real quick, let's, before we got, uh, so our guest today um, is actually a pretty interesting dude. He's an author, musician, um, collector, and, 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 and part of our jam is going to be rolling through his collection, which is a massive collection of Jeff Hanneman and Slayer. All Gears. kinds of other stuff, too. I, right? I mean, just massive, all kinds of kick-ass it's, shit. Yeah, but I mean, but, he's obviously but, got a big selection of Jeff Hanneman there stuff. There is right? a... He, there is a yeah he has some notoriety even based on his Hanneman collection so um part of that i want you know to see kind of a lot of that is shit you worked on like i we've touched on this a little bit let's get in before we have uh our guests join let's get into a little bit when you bounced out of um touring with uh hoya because everybody would have, if you watch our shit anyway, people would have heard that episode. When you bounced out of there and got invited out to go with Slayer. Yes. Break that down for us. Did you go right in as Jeff's tech? Yeah. Um, I, I uh, flew in. We all um, met at Newark Airport. And how did and they flew- know you? How did you get pulled into that? Okay, so that's like a whole long story. Basically, I, you know, I toured we with a bunch of bands. Into that. We could dive yeah. into that later too. I mean, we... Um, I toured with, you know, a bunch of bands before that, right? I worked for Hatebreed, Biohazard, Sick of It All, right? And all, all those bands I had toured with Slayer while I was working for those bands, right? So I became, over those three tours, I became friendly with them, the crew, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yep. I know how that shit works. And it's a yep. small world, right? And then, so, yeah. they, so Jeff lost well, his tech for some reason. What happened was, guy. so Jeff and Tom were sharing a tech back then, and uh, it was this guy named Dan Druff, right? He was a genius, right? A sick genius. But he left to do Guns N' Roses, and uh, that position opened up, and uh, my name got dropped in the hat, and uh, they picked my name. Fuck yeah! Yeah, it was over like me, and they were gonna bring the old guy back, right? And so they you basically were doing both Jeff and Tom originally. Yeah, yeah. So they basically were just um, they were they gave me a chance, bro. You know what I mean? They were like, let's give the kid a chance, right? So they hired me. Cause you were still you young. Know. How old? Were oh you? yeah, I was still. Um, shit, I don't remember, man. I was, it was 2004 this happened, so, you know, I was still, I was young in my, in my career, right, and my touring, like, you know what I mean? I was still very, um, uh, 
not technically savvy yet, right? I still had to learn a bunch of stuff. Like, you I know, mean, how long were but, your runs even? Because I know the stuff with uh, Hoya and Madball wasn't at uh, it and um, I'm spacing the name of their other band, Hazen Street. Yeah, Hazen yeah. Street. Um, when you were out, like, those weren't as long runs, right? Like, had you been out no. months and months on the road at a time? Oh, oh, dude, I was with Haybreed for and three were, years. And we were out at one point for like nine months straight. Wow. Like one year, one year we did 320 shows in one year. On buses and shit? Or were you in vans? Like what Everything. were you guys? Everything. Everything. We had buses. We had uh, uh, the, at one point the band was in a van and we were in like a cargo truck with the gear, the crew. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, those were fun. Right. And then, uh, and then in Europe, we were like in buses, sharing buses with other bands. And then we had like, at one point, when I first time I went to Europe with Hatebreed, uh, shit, we were in a fucking little minivan, like a little Sprinter van with like a trailer. But it was just the band, me, the tour manager, and a driver. 2004 era Slayer, were you guys in buses? Like, was it a bunch? Oh of yeah, yeah, yeah. Slayer, yeah, Slayer. That's why it was a huge like step for me, right? Because it was a crew bus at that point. I've never been on a crew bus. I didn't realize like, yo, the, the crew has their own bus. What? <laughs> like, what? What? How does that happen? Like, you know? Um. And how long before uh, how long before you started just working for Jeff exclusively, like before Tom had his own tech? Um. Okay. So yeah, I was I started out as Jeff and Tom's guy. We, I you know did that for man a little bit. I guess I can't remember. But then when we started um, the tour cycle for uh, Christ Illusion, I think it was oh seven, I believe. Oh um, six. Jeff wanted. I forget how, what happened, but I basically got moved to Tom's tech and stage manager. And we brought in like another guy to take care of Jeff. And it, like, you know, we brought in like three guys to, to try to make, make that happen. Each guy, you know, it just didn't work. Right? Was, were the, um, no, no. Yeah, they, they, yeah, the one guy made it like a run. Like it was weird because like he would be handing off all the guitars and doing all that stuff. But I would do all the punches. Cause he wouldn't, he huh. just didn't know the punches. You know what I mean? And like at one point I was, you know, I just did it. Cause I was like, yo, this guy. You guys were just kind of staring, sharing stage, right? Uh, yeah. But it wasn't supposed to, he was supposed to learn the punches. Like, you know, even at one point when Jeff's wife came out and saw that I was doing the punches, she was like, like what? <laughs> like, what? Like, you know what I mean? She didn't get it. Like, and then I guess after that, Jeff found out that I was still doing his punches cause he didn't know either. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did but, Jeff um, do a shitload of punches like Gary does? No, no. He didn't. He wasn't as much uh, as uh, you didn't have to be as attentive, right? At, at, you know. Yeah, because Gary will punch through you know five or six, but, seven different things in a song. Like, I mean, it depends. I mean, if anytime, uh, anytime Gary solos, there's a punch. You yeah, know, yeah. Automatic, automatically, right? Well, and it depends on which solo, depends on which punch, and all that kind of shit. And where, where he's at on stage, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. If he's not, not if, he's, if he's not near his pedal board, then I turn on his other pedal, right? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So, uh, but Jeff was more clean, dirty type stuff because Jeff would carry some of those intros and everything, right? Yo, our guest in the waiting room. So anyway, oh, like is. this is where your background comes from, and it actually just uh, uh, it relates to you know, our Mr. Wagner's collection. Uh, yes. Uh, Jeremy Wagner in the Let's guest room. We can bring him in. Let's bring him in. Oh, yeah. What up, what up? There can he you is. guys hear me? Hi, yeah, guys. Yeah. What's All going right. on, man? Yeah. Happy are Friday. You? I'm just hanging. How are you yeah. guys? All right, we're good. 
Yeah. Just right. going over a little bit of uh, Warren's background because we've never really done that on the show besides just kind of touching on it a little bit and just his relationship yeah. with Jeff and with Slayer. And, um, you know, we tied that into um, some of your collection and we're going to get to take a look at all that kind of cool shit here in a little while. Cool. Fucking rad. Yeah, sounds good. Pleasure to have you, sir. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, it's it's an, a great opportunity to be on your show. I've watched your other episodes with <coughs> Mark Morton and other guys, and it's really cool. Thank you. Man. Well, yeah. dude, we're happy to have you, man. Yeah, Thanks man. for having me. It's, yeah. it's been Absolutely. fun so far. Still questionable as far as the relevance of this idea at all, but, you know. <laughs> hey, we're having fun with it, all right? That's what matters. Dude, I, I just got hit. There's so many different podcasts out there. and uh, Yes, there are. I just got hit up. I'm I'm doing one tomorrow with uh the two guitar players from Internal Bleeding and they they live on Long Island and they do they're both named Chris. That's the smoke out they, thing, right? I think I saw the promo. Yeah. It's called nice. smoke. <laughs> Chris Prevellis, the one guitar player, he smokes cigars all the time and the other Chris smokes weed all the time. So they get together, <laughs> smoke and interview people. This one was kind of like short notice. They you know, we're like, hey, we want to have you on. I'm like, great, what date? Well, could you do it Saturday? I'm like, shit, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> so um, the point of all that is, is there's all kinds of podcasts, but what you guys got going on is pretty, pretty damn cool, you know? So, well, cool. Thank you very much, man. You know, got to start somewhere. Well, I mean, we realized, uh, like, Warren and I sat on FaceTime just shooting the shit with each other off the tour um, mm-hmm. the last several years. And so it, it actually, you know, it, it seemed fairly intuitive just to start videotaping it and uh, bringing all our friends on just to shoot the shit and smoke out and, you know, yeah, talk about what's going on, especially yeah. in quarantine time. I mean, Jesus, dude, like nobody's had anything to do. All of everybody's <laughs> touring has stopped. I yep. mean, you stayed really busy, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, did, I'm always writing, writing did, my uh, ass off. You know, I just you? turned in a new book to to my agent, and I got two others. This is. This is another one I just finished. So, uh, you know, I'm always writing, writing books, writing riffs too, you know, playing guitar. But uh, think about being a writer, novelist. It's, it's a solitary thing. You know, I don't got to be with five other guys and uh, um, like in a band or anything. And and here I am in my office and um, pandemics going on out in the world. And I'm just doing my thing as I would, any other day say, it's kind of it's kind, of, it's kind of the same for you <laughs> sort of for me yeah. too like i'm kind of trying not to leave the fucking house as much as i can anyway so I'll right tell you exactly shows it's like eh, it's kind so, of the same did uh did broken right. hope have, have anything like that got canceled because of all this or like did you guys have to cancel any shows tours or anything like that no the we you know like the last shows we did last year we went we went to japan in september of last year and then in december we did uh, a hometown chicago show for the first time in like five or six years and that's how we ended the year and then um we're always getting offered you know different tours and different festivals and stuff you know people want us to come to south america someone wants us to do a you know festival in europe someone wants to do a you know like a four band club tour in the u.s so we're we get offers but uh nothing was you know confirmed or anything so yeah. we didn't have to cancel any any shows or, and whatnot so since this thing's happened um really the best thing to do is be productive 
and write a new album because yeah. we haven't had a new album out since 2017 anyway. So that's nice. that's kind of what we're doing right now. Are all okay. the other guys local? We am. Everybody's local um, in the Chicagoland area, except for our bass player. Our bass player, actually, he lives in Tijuana. His name's Whoa. Diego Soria. Whoa. And he's he's been in a bunch of different bands. A band called Disgorge. He's filled in for Cattle Decapitation on bass. And he's been our bass player since 2013, 2014. And uh, he has a studio there in Tijuana. So he runs his studio when he's not touring and jamming. But yeah, he's the only guy, like, if we have anything going on, we got to fly him in. So do you guys rehearse. record remotely generally? I mean, does everybody lay tracks at their house and stuff? And then you guys aggregate or does everybody get together and do it on site we do like uh like i have a studio here that we did our last album at and we all we pretty much record everything here except when we were, we did some pre-production that we we did separately so like we mike and i mike our drummer we we recorded like the riffs the guitars and drums sent them to diego our uh lead guitar player matt schlotka uh, he, by the way, he, he used to be in Chimera and a couple other bands. I've known him forever. Chicago guy. Nice. Um, super talented. And we sent him pre-production cause he's got a home studio and he actually rearranged a bunch of stuff, which That's was cool, was cool. cool. And, and did uh, harmonies and everything. So we did that remotely, but we all came together and, and did everything here. That's cool. I'm always album. curious as to how that goes down these days, just because, you know, yeah. videos come so far. And I mean, you could theoretically everybody just sit in their living room and, you know, record different parts and put Absolutely. a, a well-produced album together. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. it's about, it's about the vibe, right? You know well, what yeah, I mean? So thing. yeah, it seems like a lot of guys still like, I mean, to really get it done, a lot of, a lot of dudes still all get together and do it at the same time and right. jump off of each other. And that's how better shit really happens. Right. And I'm, I'm like a, a real old school sucker for gorgeous recording studios, like out in Miami beach, my wife and I have a house and in Miami, they've got one of the most famous recording studios in the world criteria studios. And a good friend of mine uh, pretty much runs that place. And I've toured it a bunch of times, but you know, it's like, Skinner recorded there, Allman Brothers, Tom Dowd brought Eric Clapton in there, like the first, when he went solo for the first time and him and Dwayne Allman jammed. And um, you see all these legendary handmade consoles, you know, you got a Neve board, you got, uh, That's you know, crazy. SST, you got every board and all this gear and shit. I mean, like, uh, you know, you got, um, uh, Look at that. stuff like wow that's gorgeous yeah so you go in the studio and you see that stuff and then you also see like that vintage outboard gear like the uh you guys remember like the yamaha spx 90s and shit you know oh like, dude that, I, we know, had like, one in we had one in jeff's rig for years dude yeah yeah right he had one yeah he yeah. and and, and, and uh, the effect that, for he, for disciple had, the song disciple, that one so. and uh he had the eventide <clears throat> harmonizer yep. in there just, yep so anyway i'm a, just a geek about vintage gear amazing consoles, the wah, 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 sound you know yes yes yeah. was, uh, xpx X, xpx 90 wow, yeah that's cool yeah because gary yeah. used something else to pull it off right 
Well, yeah, because we couldn't do that. You can't find that, that weird unit shaker anymore, pedal you know? thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. basically di- I dialed it in to the right, you know, <laughs> speed. So, <laughs> so it was literally us sitting there, like listening to the, me and Johnny listening to the record, and like, you know, all right, that's it, that's it, right there, you know, mark it, mark it, mark it. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, I love, I love, uh, I still love a studio like yeah. environment, like a standalone, gorgeous studio. I don't know. There's just something about having. Mm-hmm space like that i like have my own studio too and working out ideas and everything and whatnot but if you know it's like it's like um for hardcore baseball fans you know a lot of those legendary baseball parks aren't around anymore you know and it's like that with certain studios you got electric ladyland you got criteria recording studios in miami uh sound city is gone and yeah, um uh, and Grohl, some others Grohl you know the whole board and all that stuff though yeah i saw a documentary about that yeah which is awesome i love that man that's, that's where um that. um morton and those guys recorded that last lamb of god album was there at his place on that on that old board and everything oh no kidding all right yeah pretty no cool. shit. i didn't even know that that's awesome yeah it was yeah. a cool place like they were all stoked and they're all virginia guys and it mm-hmm. was a cool but it was the same sort of thing right like you're rolling around in there and there's all this old shit and all these, you know, icons of music over decades have recorded on the same gear. I mean, it's special. Right. You, yeah. And you meet some of these engineers. Like I met, um, I can't remember the guy's name. I always mispronounce it. It's like Agby or something. He's a guy who produced like all the Bee Gees albums <laughs> in the seventies. Legendary engineer. I, you know, you, you see him there and you get to pick dude, his brain. Up must have saw, like, man. <laughs> unreal, dude. I mean, and that my buddy, Imagine the criteria, he tells me, uh, oh yeah, dude. Like I ever stories like, uh, you know, uh, Greg Allman, God rest his soul. But like, he was, uh, remember that, that, uh, back, it was in the eighties, uh, that, that, that album Greg Allman did, um, where that single I'm no angel yeah. is off of and stuff. So like, yeah. you know, I heard stories, he was doing sessions there and he's so out of his mind and he'd go to a, leave a session to go say, and I'm going to seven 11 down, down the block. And he'd <laughs> come back hours. <laughs> he'd, he'd come back and there'd be like three fucking crack dealer, crackhead guys with them that he picked <laughs> up at the seven 11 and they fucking tr- did shit in the studio. And, <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff uh great story uh leonard skinner by the way 70s era skinner's one of my favorite bands of all time specifically 70s era skinner ronnie van zant steve Gaines, all those guys so they did uh their last album street survivors at criteria studios with uh the great tom dowd uh awesome friggin' producer and uh they were doing stuff sessions in that in in criteria and uh you guys know the great jaco pastorius bass player uh bass guy so he he lived down in around miami fort lauderdale and always recorded uh that criteria or most so um but he uh, he was crazy i always hear these stories jaco pastorius (laughs) was out of just a lunatic and he uh skinnered were playing uh there's a pool table in a rec room that's still there for artists to chill if they're not doing sessions they can um watch tv play pool do whatever and 
some of the Skinner guys are playing a game of pool in there, and Jaco Pistorius, okay, just out of the blue, <laughs> comes ripping into the parking lot. He runs into the studio, runs into the rec room, looks around all the Skinner guys there, and he takes the cue ball off the pool table and fucking runs out of the studio, jumps in his car, and takes off. <laughs> like, it's a weird fucking story. Like the, Hell you know, yeah. Just <sighs> weird, like, it's just a crazy story. Skin, original Skinner, Jacob Pastor. I mean, it, only at Criteria Studios, you know? <laughs> yeah. You had to go crack uh, the skull with that cue ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I love stories like that. That shit gives me ideas for, like, books. That's so much of me writing this stuff down, you know? Like, like Mike <laughs> Judge does on Tales from the Tour Bus. You guys ever watch that? That show, it's on Cinemax, I think. Okay. It's Mike Judge, the guy who did Beavis and Butthead. He, he has did, a show. Uh, he did uh, Silicon Valley too, right? Right. I'm not sure. He, I'm not sure. I'd have to look on IMDb. He may may have the series Silicon Valley. Yeah, that was on HBO or whatever. Like it, it ran three or four seasons. Yeah, our producer. Yeah, says, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was fucking awesome too. And I think was it, that, see, I gotta I check Tales that out. Tales from the Tour Bus was his other. So that like the last season was like two years in the making, and I mm-hmm. think it was because he was working was. on another project. And I bet you that yeah, what it was. It took him a while. Yeah, yeah. but that's a great show because Mike Judge like uh, picks these guys that are, you know, the first season was all country, outlaw country guys and stuff like oh, Waylon cool. Jennings, who I love, uh, and and other guys, and he they talk about stories you never heard before and then they're recreated using uh animation oh that's cool using oh that's uh, fucking cool like uh using (laughs) guys who were uh bystanders uh either in the band or on the crew or who knew them and they and they are on the show they're actually on the show uh reaffirming the story and putting in their two cents and it was really cool one of the funny ones man was you guys remember that that country guy johnny paycheck (laughs) take this job and shove it remember that that song from the the 70s or yeah so that was his biggest hit and johnny paycheck only hit even i would assume right like it's one of them yeah he 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 had he had (laughs) another one that was his biggest one so that's the one he made the most money on and stuff johnny paycheck was out of his mind that guy like shot a guy at a bar and he is that who in the picture like has a dude shoot blasting somebody's fucking brains out like i wonder if it was that's a johnny yeah it was like that's probably him dude yeah (laughs) and he he uh had a bad cocaine problem he was spending a lot of money on, on blowing stuff but that episode of tales from the tour bus I laughed so hard because he, the guys telling the story on the show who were actually with him, Johnny Paycheck got all this money from, from uh, take this job and shove it. And he wanted, he had never flown in a, a private jet before. So now he's got all this money. He's like, I want to fly in a private jet for once. And he's like, out in LA. It does seem to be a goal. And, and he, gets a Lear, he gets a Learjet. <laughs> And get this, he he flies him and his 
band guys just to fly on a private, say they flew on a private jet, not for any other reason. And all they do is fly from like Los Angeles down to Ontario, California, which uh, <laughs> Dave, you should know Ontario, California, if you're in the Jackson guitars or, or you too, Warren. Yeah. I think that's where they, you know, Randy Rhodes dude made his his guitars in ontario california anyway i digress they fly from la to ontario and when they when they get there the money for you know because airplane jet fuel is friggin expensive, expensive man it's fucking a lot of money and the crew the flight crew and all the shit and you're talking like la to ontario california it's like a 40 minute flight, man. At least 35, 40 minutes. They landed. A couple hours. Johnny, Johnny Paycheck doesn't have the money for a round trip fucking flight. They, they all get in cabs and they take cabs back from Ontario yeah, you can drive. to Los Angeles. Dude, That's fucking awesome. You can't make that shit up, dude. I laughed so hard when I saw that story. Uh, just, it, it got me. But hey, I love. Uh, I just love stories. Well, like so that, be you know? so. Being into seventies era Skinner, I mean, you're you're younger than Warren and I. I think I'm not sure exactly how old you are. Um. Well, I uh, coincidentally, I'll be in less than a month. I'll turn fifty. August oh wow. 28th. Okay, oh, you're older. Not. You're older yeah. than us. Yeah, yeah, you're like a year or two older than us. Well, Warren's yeah. a year or two younger than me. Warren's yeah. Warren's the young one. Look how fucking old you look, too, man. Yeah, I'm young. I'm I'm Asian. I'm forever young, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should darken that shit up and then Dude, you, you do the gray. You, you pull age. the gray off. Good, bro. You pull nah, it off bro, real good. I'm a silver fox, dog. It's, You'll it's be silver over. fox from like 40 to like 95 <laughs> and look identical to what you look nah. like. At, at one point, like when I'm like 60, I'll just like everything will just fall apart, right? <laughs> I'll just Dude, look like 80 one day. It's not how it happens. Well, I'll tell you what, if I grew out these chin whiskers like you guys, it's all white. It's Big pure it. white. Okay, yeah. so when did you start playing then? As a kid or later on? Like when like yeah. and was guitar your first instrument? So um when I was twelve I, I begged my mom for a guitar and uh now my idea of a guitar as a twelve year old, nineteen eighty two, uh was electric guitar. But my mom bought me uh uh an acoustic guitar. Of course, because you gotta start on acoustic to see if you stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> right it's like come on Did you have the same mom because that's exactly what she goes my she had a my parents got divorced when i was in grade school so she had a boyfriend who actually played in a country and western band and i hated that shit back then by the way i was always into like you know what my dad and his friends were into which was like pink floyd the wall and you know the cars like classic rock shit you sure. hear now and then yeah. eventually it was metal you know 82 is when juice priest came out with screaming for vengeance and that yeah yeah like metal that fucking got me but my mom's like yeah you need to start on acoustic guitar before you go to electric because there's no logic you to got, that. You know, yeah there's no no fucking <laughs> logic so i would screw around on it and blah 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 and then um dude what happened is two two things happened. I didn't take it seriously. And then, um, right. Were you taking right. lessons or just out of like books and just trying to learn chords and stuff or 
was your yeah, country? Yeah, just by ear. I had a, I had an aunt who's a was a folk singer and guitar player. She's really good. She'd always play shit like the Beatles, you know, Blackbird on acoustic guitar. So as a kid, I'm like, how oh, shit? How do you play that? That's yeah, neat. finger picking yeah. and like melody you know, lines, bass lines. Yeah. So I tried to learn from her. The stuff and, you could play an acoustic, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Acoustic, <laughs> yeah. But that's as cool as so, it sounds, right? You can never make it rock, really. It never gets, right. you know, it'll never scream. Right. Like, I wanted so, to make it scream like Eddie Van Halen made it scream and shit, right? Like, exactly. and that's just not something you can do with an acoustic guitar. No, and not at all. it fucking feels totally different. Like, it's super discouraging. It's like, oh, wait, so if I just deal with the turd, then I can yeah. actually have something that tastes delicious? Like, because this thing sucks. Right. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, hold up. Well, your parents save money, though, right? They bought an acoustic instead of electric. That's the logic behind that, right? That's so. another part of the logic. <laughs> In reality, yeah, though, like, I mean, Jeremy knows, like, you can spend three times the amount on a nice acoustic. Like, if you're going to go get a nice acoustic, it's a fucking yeah, $20,000 guitar. Yeah, but they're not getting you that nice acoustic. No, they're just getting, no, they that, they're getting you that yeah. Walmart special. $150 yep. acoustic. Here you go. And it, it's fucking this high. It's like you can't even play this thing. So how right. long how how long after that did you graduate to the electric guitar then? Well, real quick to today's point too. I mean, like uh, so I'll be I'm almost 50 years old. So back then, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old. I mean, I'm five foot three now, so I was about friggin' that tall when I was 12 years old. So play, trying to play an adult acoustic guitar, too. Oh, especially if it was like a dreadnought? Get yeah, like... hand around. I mean, it's like, God, this thing, you know, so I didn't. Oh, because of course they go get you a full-size dreadnought, too, right? Like, you know, it's a country. Oh, like, yeah. Full, of course. Full-size, full <laughs> gigantic friggin' acoustic guitar. Like, yeah, it was, like, ridiculous. So I didn't take it seriously. Um... And then a couple of years are going by, 80s are rolling around. I'm a teenager and, uh, you know, I see uh, like Eddie Van Halen, you know, doing like you're talking about. You hear, you're like, how the hell does he play a guitar like that? And I'm also, I'm getting into heavier and heavier music and stuff. And then uh, right around 85 and 86, when I was 15 and then later go turn in 16, a few things happened that changed my life. And I'm like, I, I'm getting an electric guitar and I, I'm really going to do this. And it was um, Metallica's Ride the Lightning came out. And when I heard that, I just discovered them on that album, went back, listened to Kill Em All. And then right around that same time, um, Master Puppets came out like yep. in February of 86. So I'm 15. So I got all this stimulation, never heard guitars like that before. And then when 86 rolled around, um, that album, that album's what made me want to be a guitar player. And then what's funny, and this isn't a heavy band by any means, but that, that 1986 White Snake album came out. And so I saw the video for Still of the Night and that fucking guitar solo. And um, at the time, I didn't even know it was, that was John Sykes playing on there. I, you know, thought Vivian Campbell was the guy <clears throat> playing that shit, but it was actually John Sykes. But that song and, and the guitars in that video, like just my teenage brain was like, wow, that's, Auto is just cool, you know. They were nothing again, like Metallica, of course, and or, or no, Slayer, so who's getting shit. into Slayer at that time, right? There's something about 
you know, that just the solo too on that song. And yeah. then boom, that same year, fucking Crossroads movie. Mm. And when I saw yeah. Jack Butler, <laughs> so just like I want it. So my first electric guitar, I wanted a guitar that looked as close to design as, as Jack Butler's guitar. Now I didn't have Jack shit for money. My mom was a single mom raising two kids. It sounds cliche, but she literally worked two, three jobs just to cover all the bills, put us in school. So I'd save my money. And then I took that acoustic guitar she bought me a few years before I still had it and traded it in. And what nice. I got was a Kramer, I think it was a Kramer striker and the fit. It was fucking red. It had one <laughs> pickup, a black <laughs> volume knob. It so you need it. Most of Jack Butler. Had my, a mom was, my mom, yep. Floyd Rose. My mo yeah. <laughs> my mom was fucking pissed, man, when I brought that thing home. Because she bought me an acoustic for a gift. <laughs> Didn't get her head around it. Uh, she gets it now, all these years later. Sure. No, but but um, that's where my guitar love started. And then... Um, I wanted to take lessons seriously and I got really lucky uh, because I, there was a guy that taught guitar at a local music store in a town called Libertyville, Illinois, Libertyville, Illinois, by the way, that's, that's the guitar. <laughs> Holy fuck. Look at that. That's thing. it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that is, our, that's the guitar. Holy our shit. Our producer is on point. Dude, producer rules. This is blowing my mind, man. That's the freaking guitar. That's awesome. Wow. So I, I look at that fucking I, thing. That's a beauty, man. Look at that thing. Dude, got hot, it's got the hockey stick fucking headstock and shit on it. Yeah. Oh man. You see where my you see yeah. where my thinking was. Yeah, yeah. Of as, course. A, as a teenager, when I saw that at the at the music store. By the way, the music store. You know, you walk in wanting an electric guitar. You're a teenager. Um, maybe you guys can relate to this and your viewers who are guitar, you know, freaks, but when you, there's some, something about like, for me anyway, you know, you remember significant points in your life when you've seen, seen things or experienced things. So walking into a guitar store in the mid eighties and seeing wall, this place was huge. It was called Jim Lobb's music and having Walls of Kramer guitars, Charvels. walls of BC Riches, Charvels, BC Rich, you know, all the different designs, Ironbirds, Warlocks, Bitches, all like you're like, shit, those are metal guitars. This is what, you know, like, holy cow. So all crazy colors and shit, man. So many, yeah, point, so many pointy headstocks. You can put an eye out all over that place. All that place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I loved it. So my head's spinning. So anyway, I was going to take this seriously and local, uh, another, a music store in the town, Libertyville, Illinois, um, actually is my hometown. I was born there. And so was Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. His mom still lives there. Cool town on the North shore of Chicago, Northern herb. Um, there was a guitar teacher there named Tom Bradner, who I'm very close to to this day. And Tom was a classically trained guitarist, but he played in a thrash metal band 
I mean, nice. they established in Crossroads oh, that classical oh, beats rock. And yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, you had to have a classical background if you were going to have any street cred at all. Yep. <laughs> this guy, he had it, man. In fact, I was so obsessed with with Crossroads when I was taking lessons from him. He's he that movie me, he's like, so many miles. He's like, you know, Steve, I used this classical arpeggio piece from this guy to make that, you know, the, Paganini. the whole thing. Yeah, Paganini. And, and I'm like, what? Really? And I was just like, what's that? It all. So I have to know. Played, there's a band called Numbskull, <laughs> it, which is a, a old thrash metal band. And they had an album called Ritually Abused that came out around 87 maybe and so he was a thrash metal guitar player too classically trained had a degree in music <clears throat> played thrash metal and the dude could show me anything so i'd ask him to show me you know key uh slayer riffs you know the metallica riffs i liked i was really into dark angel at the time he was you know um Dark Angels and then so hard and, to pick shit out of too, man. Just uh, that's the album. That's my no guitar. Skull. That was my guitar teacher. That was his album. Yep, Tom Bradner. That's so, awesome. So, um, so he, but Tom showed me riffs and 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 metal techniques, but he showed me all this other great stuff. He showed me theories of music, uh how to play arpeggios, modes, why it works, runs, it all this shit that, all. yeah. Like you don't really hear me doing leads in Broken Hope. I, I write mostly, most of the riffs, but behind the scenes, um, like I'm always warming up with, with modes, arpeggios, speed runs, uh, keeping my chops up. And all that goes back to my, this great guitar teacher I had. And, um, he taught me how to write songs. And then shortly after, by 88, when I formed Broken Hope, I, I never played in a cover band. I just was started writing my own music and, and cool. lyrics back then. In fact, um, at that time, 86, um, I, I wasn't in a band yet, but I, I was always telling Tom, my guitar teacher, I'm like, dude, I want to, because um, I was always a writer before I was a musician. I was, I've been writing stories and creepy shit since i was a kid so i had this mindset if i form a band it's before 12 then i'm gonna you were a little kid yeah since a little yeah right my whole life so jeff hanneman uh really inspired me in 80 86 because you know uh, a lot of the lyrics on rain and blood and and stuff and and actually in, in gene hoagland too he wrote a lot of lyrics for dark angel and, he's the nicest and, and I'm guy in like, metal. I'm like, I, I could do that. I could write lyrics and write the riffs. I'm not a goddamn singer at, at all. I can't. Yeah. I can't even chew gum and play guitar. <laughs> I can't. It's pretty fucking hard. I try dude. talking to people always while I play no, guitar. You give it, you get and the then my fingers start yeah, doing the, the, yeah. the syllables on the guitar. Yeah, dude. Like, Exactly. You digest just, everything somebody's talking to you, but you can't respond at all. It's like, no, I'll respond no, to I'm, I'm done Yeah, done. I'm, I'm focusing. I'm playing right now, dude. Exactly. So, um, really anyway, so life. then I, you know, I just, I started writing lyrics and stuff and uh, planned on, you know, by the time 87 and 88 rolled around in high school, I was, now I was really into death metal. I was always seeking the heaviest form of music. And then, form broken hope in 88 and uh you know 
here we are today still. So it's, uh, saw, that's, kinda, saw, that's how my guitar journey started though. You know, I, I actually saw broken old play at the wetlands in uh, mm -hmm. New York city. in like, uh, what, what year was that? 90, maybe that would have been, uh, 1994. And the 94, wetlands was yeah. the last, was the last date of the tour that we did. We did like a 50 date North American tour with nice. unleashed. Yes. And the Wetlands yes. was the last show. And you know who our sound man was at Wetlands? It was uh, Roy, Roy, Roy Maruma. Roy. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And he played nausea right from Stone Sour. He he, he was yeah. uh, he, he was a the guy there for years, man. He was also the guy right. at CB's for a little bit too. So yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Years later, <laughs> he told me that, and I, yeah. I, I, and then uh, I just saw him this past year at at Dime Bash. And I introduced him to my wife. And I go, nice. he did our sound once, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did every he did sound yeah. for everybody at one point, man, in New York, you know. So yeah, amazing shit. And he remembers that show too. That wet oh, yeah. show. Yeah. And yeah. uh it's at CBGB's at one point, he it was I think there was three like sound guys that they would rotate, and two yeah. of them, one was Roy and the other was Tommy from Prom. Tommy Victor from Prom, right? So, oh, okay. <laughs> I wonder if he did those guys did our sound. We we headlined one time only played CBGB's, which I think I consider that a feather in my cap to Oh yeah. That's yeah, an honor. Yeah. And I've done, I've, and the and the, too, so. and the limelight and and uh you know whiskey a go go. You know, you play Limelight out, has all the uh Giger shit in it, right? Or they had the Giger room? Oh, dude, that, that that place so the, oh, it was awesome, bro. I wish uh, that was like my favorite venue in New York, dude. I got uh, video tapes of me walking through the limelight when we loaded in that day and played there. It's fucking and, crazy um, there. All these rooms. And I remember seeing the limelight before I ever played there in a scene from uh, the Harvey Keitel movie, Bad Lieutenant. Yes. Part yes. of it was filmed in there. And I remember going yeah. into the bar area where he was and walked through. I'm like telling guys in my band man fucking Harvey Keitel bad lieutenant was filmed they they could have cared less they're not okay. moving they were like you're a fucking <clears throat> dork whatever but, so Dave but that Dave, was a great quick, club man the limelight was no so Dave limelight gone, was right? it's, it's gone yeah there was this uh club in in the 90s right and in, in New York that was an old church it was church 2000s mm -hmm. too right and there was a room in there that was uh, all Sarah Giger shit yeah, it lasted. I think I don't know how long it lasted, but I at think one it was point there it, in the early two thousands, I heard about. Well, it. at one point, all the clubs in New York got shut down because everybody was OD and doing too many drugs and ecstasy, and that's when XC hit the scene and all that weird shit. So, hmm. I think they got caught. Is up that what in they that do mess, at clubs? So. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently they did back then. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, it was a church, and they did metal church nights on on Sunday. There you go. Right yeah, there. it was it was it was Wednesday and Sundays so were. If you were if you're looking at that if you're looking at that picture, uh, the street on the to the right side, where those trees are, which night that, that was actually 19th Street. I that's think, like so. that's where you loaded in. I remember yep. as a band, and then uh, that was a great show, man. Because we um, I didn't realize it was actually a venue. So I'd heard about the place. Yeah, I didn't realize it would like you. Dude, so listen, Dave. What what was great mm -hmm. about Sunday nights? was in the main room with where the stage was, was always like a metal tour. Like literally, dude, I saw Carcass, Morbid Angel there, <clears throat> all kinds of bands there. Um, and, uh, and that was the, the, you know, the, the venue part, right? And you could walk literally towards the back 
of this place and go into a whole different room that had hip hop, <laughs> had a, two, a DJ playing hip hop all night. So like I related it well enough to not. Oh yeah, oh oh, yeah, dude. You it would not be intrusive at all, Uh, dude. You I would go into the hip hop room and smoke blunts, and then go watch metal bands on Sundays. It was great, man. It was the fucking best (laughs) thing ever. Yeah, you're like a chameleon. What do you mean? It was awesome, dude. That was right when Cypress Hill was blown up. Just like blend between like all crowds, just. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, well, we got done playing. you went to the, the, the show that they turned it into a dance club, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where all so the bands played. There's a church and, here oh, yeah. in Denver that was called the church that I think it's still there. That's a, but it was purely a dance club like that. And they had converted into an old church that looked really fucking similar. Hey, well, have you lived in uh, d- uh, Denver your whole life? No, I grew up. I, my dad was military. I grew up all over the world, but uh, North, oh. I graduated high school in Northern Virginia finished music school in uh at james madison in virginia okay and then i was just gonna say we i remember that same tour we played the wetlands was uh first time we played denver was that tour it was what year place called the mercury cafe back in oh yeah 1994 it's still it's still there i had moved out here in 97 Mm. so we've been out here for ages okay but you, sure. you you weren't going you weren't going to shows back then were you Dave? or were you i was managing a guitar store in boulder fuck yeah i was going to shows oh, okay <laughs> all right all right just checking man <laughs> i got married in 87 i got married young so yeah we rolled right out here from virginia right afterwards but you know colorado's cool yeah it's beautiful and you know they legalized weed so it all worked out great mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to us a bit about the writing stuff, man. Like it's so you've been you've been writing a lot longer yes, than I yeah. realized. And and we even when we were talking a little bit yesterday, like kind of we I, I got questions about how like how do you flow and tell me a little bit more about the background because then I got questions about the business side and well, dude started. also like did you like you started when you were young writing, were you watching like horror movies back then already? Was it oh, always yeah. was yeah. it always horror? That's awesome. Horror. Yeah, right. yeah, it's always so, di- dinosaurs, monsters, and horror for me uh scary shit so that's where you were getting the influence to kind of write all that stuff then huh yeah yeah you know um i'm a horror kid you know if you ask you know people ask me well why are you in the horror you know you could ask stephen king that or kirk hammett who's been to horror since i was a little kid it's just you know it's just like it's all i got you know, it's like, what, you know well if you think if you think about when when horror came out like it was a thing so if you were a kid back then, or yeah. if you were in, in the age where you were getting into it back then, dude, yeah. almost any kid that grew up in that era was a horror kid at Especially one point. Especially late 70s, you know what I mean? 80s. Like, yeah. you're talking whether about, you, I mean, whether like you the, continued with it or not was, you well, know, the genre went thing, right? from so. like psycho to, you know, like thriller to then all these like subgenres. Yeah, like well, like Freddy and, you yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. Poltergeist and all, you know what I mean? So it was all these movies that, dude, think about it, like, you know? Everybody were, was a horror, right? That was the movies. That was movies back then. Then back into even in the seventies, then like Salem's Lot era, and yeah, right. Oh, in the seventies wow, is like, I mean, every decade really from the fifties and sixties, seventies, and on and on. Every decade has their their gems, their horror movie gems. Now, for me, in the seventies, had like the of friggin' some of the best movies, I think, horror-wise. But as a real young kid, 
as a kid or even adults I know, either you see something scary or spooky and you're drawn into it and you think it's cool. And then there's people that see that and are mortified, terrified. Yeah, they can't, they don't want to watch horror movies, you know. So I have a younger sister and me, and at our house, we lived in the country at the time. Uh, you know, we didn't have cable TV or, you know, maybe three channels we could get on the TV with an antenna. And my mom read a lot and she read a lot of horror novels and then mysteries, dark fiction. So I'd be looking at, you know, age three, looking at these uh, book covers and going, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, there's skulls and scary shit and whatnot. And I was always an avid reader reading. I quickly went from kids books to more, you know, higher grade books. And then eventually the first adult novel I read was Jaws by Peter Benchley. And at the time, Jaws was in the movie theater and the paperback edition of Jaws was everywhere. There's yep, like I millions of copies of it. And that was what, 77? That would have been 75. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Yeah. So anywhere I went with my mom, my grandma, any, you know, whether it's the supermarket, the drugstore, gas station, that paperback was like everywhere in my and then all my family old aunts and uncles they all seemed to have that book and i just for years too, that even into the artwork, late 70s dude. that book was fucking everywhere everywhere i mean that that image dude it's for the paperback <laughs> the in the movie posters iconic you can't you see it you can't get it out of your head nope. so as a kid i saw that shit and i'm like what's the hell what the hell's with you know, this giant shark and the woman that's swimming up top and shit and uh, everything. And, um, yeah, oh, that's damn. some of my, that's one of the room, one of the walls in my Jaws tribute room Sick. that I got. That so barrel. was that the first movie that really like kind of, I mean, and story, I guess that really like made such an impact or that like really had, were- yeah, that one really had an impact and that, that, that movie and then later, a real cheesy made-for-TV Wait, that buoy? Is that, is that one of the buoys that they had? Yeah, that's one of the barrels. And then also with the spear, one of the spears that Quint screwed on. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are actually screen-used. And uh, what's did funny you is... Did that at auction, or did you meet somebody that had access to that stuff? The guy or? who had these, I met the two pieces I met through... Kirk Hammett. Kirk Hammett's actually the one who said, I know you're a huge Jaws fan. I know a guy who's got some actual props from the movie. He's legit. I'll introduce it. And he made the introduction. So I got those pieces. And then the other stuff, some of the stuff, I other things I collected at auction and and whatnot. What's crazy is um, one of my good friends who you guys know, Charlie Benante of Anthrax, he he just lives down the road from me here in chicago okay he's literally like 15 minutes down down the road and he's the next to me he's as big if not bigger jaws fan and that's saying a lot because i'm a huge fan but every other day him and i are texting each other fucking jaws shit (laughs) every other day there look what's coming out look at this jaws thing did you ever see this but but he has a barrel from jaws and (laughs) Think how crazy that is, uh, because Did he score from the same two dude? guys within a couple square miles that have 
a bear each one has a barrel there was know. only what four barrels stuck to him on the three? boat and they they had some extra ones too but yeah, yeah no there way. were four or five on the on the boat and the thing about memorabilia <laughs> as a memorabilia collector uh horror memorabilia specifically back in the old days when they producers comp, production companies made a movie they didn't care about saving shit like props or yep, fucking anything. Just, dude. So stuff people. from Jaws was just left to rot and sit around. Some people, you know, thankfully, you know, got that shit. Well, the orca, the the boat, the orca in the movie was like, I think some guy bought it and then Universal movie company bought it back from the guy way back in the day because they realized shit that 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 boat means something but then they left it in a dry dock i think in a warehouse or something if i remember the story right Steve, steven spielberg would go visit it sometimes and just sit on the boat you know in the universe a lot and shit and awesome. reminisce but they fucking let the boat rot they let it rot they let termites take it and all that is left of the damn boat was the steering wheel uh propeller and I think one other part of the boat. So ah, what the fuck? that goes to show like people didn't give a shit. And then decades later, they're like, fuck, I wish I had this, this stuff, you know, and same with the movie, the thing, which is my favorite horror movie from 1982. They, with Kurt Russell. it was like, no, shit got, yeah, with Kurt Russell, shit got thrown out or burned up and whatnot. Um, when I bring you guys over to my other property, where I have a I have a thing tribute room that's um, still oh, that's being put together. It's a little messy there, but you'll see. But uh, I I I've, I got my hands on some shit from the set of the thing, like uh, you know when when they were at out, out in that camp and the camp burned down and shit. There's like I got some some pieces of the camp, and then the like in the beginning of the movie, the Norwegian helicopter in the very beginning that blows up. I got the prop from that. And that's all because a super fan guy went up to that area, you know, back in 2000 and dug around and found all wow. the shit laying around wow, and stuff. So and then, crazy. and um, I got some wardrobe pieces Warren? too. Move up to your mic real quick, Warren, and talk. Yo, what's oh, up? Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. You were just a little far away. So, my, anyway, my point was people didn't care about memorabilia or saving shit back then. So, it's like... You know, it's that uh, makes it even that much more rare it's or more you, rare. Yeah, much more rare when you got. Yeah, exactly. Because so, nowadays people recognize how collectible and valuable it's going to be. They store oh, it. Yeah, fucking, they'll store right. it, archive it and all that yeah. stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Authentic, yeah, make it exactly. authentic, Right. So, yeah. So anyway, as a horror kid, you know, I started reading books. So I read Jaws and I couldn't get my head around some of the adult material and shit but i still read it <laughs> i learned a lot and then i just started writing my own horror stories like i i have a notebook somewhere from being a kid at age six seven and i was writing sequels to jaws you know like jaws 2 jaws before they were even movies you know like That's fucking awesome and then man. i just kept on you know, working on writing. So I've always as I like always short stories, it, you know? or were you diving into like full multi-chapter kind of novels? Just short, yeah, short little little things. You know. And, and then, then where did that evolve into getting you know published work? And 
I mean, it sounds so, like um, a long time. So when, the, when I, in the 90s, when uh, Broken Hope got signed, um, so I always wrote, I've always written all the lyrics for Broken Hope. Okay. So um, I uh, got, I was still writing, I was writing short stories, wasn't getting published. And actually, the first thing I ever got published was, um, were band interviews. I decided to give give uh, interviewing bands a try. So like, oh, that's I cool. interviewed Typo Negative, uh, like Mormon Angel, Machine like Machine for. Uh, actually, I was doing it all for uh, Rip Magazine, the, oh. that old that old rock metal mag. Oh yeah, all right, Rip. all right. And uh, that was Rip Magazine was a Larry Flint publication. So oh, yeah. Hustler, Hustler Magazine. Okay put out nice. rip magazine so the editor quality at rip was like um had interviewed us broken hope did a feature on us and then were they um, published we, locally we are they uh, out of illinois or are they like a new no York? rip rip is out of Bever beverly was out of beverly hills gotcha. where yeah so they you had met their people when they had interviewed broken hope and then plugged in yeah them. when we were on metal blade records our albums were coming out so we would you know, do inter our publicist from Metal Blade would set up interviews. So the editor and I uh, were still really good friends this day, Catherine Turman. She's like, oh, you, you're a really good writer. Um, if you ever want to do any freelance stuff, let us know. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to interview bands. So I, uh, the first interview I did was uh, for, with Morbid Angel, which was a feature. And uh, it was Catherine so cool. What's didn't that? She, didn't she end up being the publisher for Metal Maniacs as well years later? That was a different Catherine. Oh, okay. okay. Same okay. name, same spelling and everything. That was Catherine Ludwig okay. at Metal okay. Maniacs. Yeah. yeah, all right, all right. Catherine Turman actually put out a great book called Louder Than Hell, an oral history of heavy metal a few years ago. Oh, and she, li she lives in Brooklyn right now, and she's been, she's been there for years. She works... Um, as a producer for Alice Cooper's radio show. Okay. It's with cool. Alice Cooper. And then she does a bunch of freelance writing. But anyway, um, I got that gig and I got a check like for 300 bucks. So in like 1993, 300 bucks was a fucking lot that's of a, money. To, I couldn't believe yeah. I got paid. Pro now. Fuck yeah. Wanted to interview one of my favorite bands and get paid for it. And then it was like in, you know, on the newsstands all over. Oh, and also, it was really cool because fucking Larry Flint signed the check. So I was, as a young man, I was a big <laughs> fan of Hustler magazine. And I'm like, holy shit, Larry Flint signed this. I got a photocopy <laughs> of that check somewhere around here. But, That's awesome. But anyway, that spurred me to go, you know what? Keep writing your short stories and, uh, you know, take rejection and just keep doing what you do. You know, I loved writing. So I eventually got published in, uh, the legitimate publisher, you know, a short story. And, uh, and then that short story was in an anthology, uh, say Martin's press major publisher put that out okay. and, uh, an editor read my story and then wanted, wanted to work with me. And I got my first book deal for the Armageddon chord, which was well, my so first novel. But before that, I, I, I published short fiction here and there, you know, I mean, how did you get the, uh, even the the short story published in the anthology type thing like i mean where did that so, come in? were you throwing stuff over to them or did they just cease your work someplace yeah else? so 
what I do is um, I would go online and look for submission calls. So like publishers are like, we have an open call for an anthology short story collection. And this is the thing, you know, and, and it could be any subject, you know, That's zombies cool. or we want to write about, you know, vampire guitar players or, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I would just write something that was relevant to that submission called the subject matter, or I, I might've, I always was writing anyway. Sometimes I had Some stories that were ready category. to go. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I submitted this one story for a zombie, a ro zombie romance, uh, anthology. That's the bit, that was the big one. And then they were like, yeah, we love this thing. So they, they bought that. Oh, that's and cool. that was my first major like fiction sale, you know? And then that's from there, I've just been writing novels and more short stories. And then how know, did that get flipped published. into your, uh, into a major publication where it was just you? Like, uh, yeah. It was it the same people then, like, and you were just continuing oh, stuff. And then no, no, like, I oh, was. Yeah. Uh, I've been published by a number of different publishers. So, and so uh, how did it your for your first major work then? Did it was it with the same publisher that you had done kind of the short story anthology stuff with? So they already knew you, or no, were, no, it was actually shopping it elsewhere. Yeah, I was shopping that that elsewhere. Got it. So I got a different my I, by that time I had I got I didn't have a literary agent when I sold that first story and then after that i got one uh gotcha so an she, agent an and then agent she shopped it around yeah got it. Okay. and that she she shot she's like do you have a novel at all i'm like yeah i got this novel it's called the armageddon court i'm still editing it right now but it'll be ready soon she's like i'd really like to see it and represent you and sure enough uh she got it and read it and she liked it and then right. she started shopping around and then uh, got me a book deal. Is. So a medal that is worn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what year was that? Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Crossroads meets, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Some, <laughs> what year that was that? That came out in 2011. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow. It's a fucking lifetime of that shit, man. Yeah. That's so cool. since then I wrote two two other novels one was rabbit heart that came out about a year or two ago in between i've published short stories too in different collections i have another unpublished novel and then um this thing i waved at you guys earlier this is actually a book that i just gave to my agent this is actually a my first non-fiction book it's a memoir i wrote for famous chef named chef curtis duffy and he uh oh. he has a restaurant called ever and he's also in a uh documentary film about him and his former restaurant it's called Fort grace grace was his longtime restaurant in chicago for a while okay. one of the greatest restaurants but this guy curtis duffy his his life story is like fucking amazing like raised by bikers, brutal childhood, um, very resilient guy, found that he liked cooking at a young age, you know, like me wanted to be a guitar player at 14. He want, already knew he wanted to be a, a chef and uh, went on to be now Michelin starred chef, one of the, one of the best in the world. But his 
that whole path, man, is like it crazy. And he, uh, normally I don't write nonfiction, you know, but uh, I am a writer. I like a challenge. And I knew Curtis's story. Uh, I didn't know everything, but I knew enough that I want, when he approached me, he asked did me, you find him? did you write my story, you know? Did you, did you and uh, difficult to write? Turn up your gain or something, Warren. You're very quiet. Oh, hey. Hello? It was a bit it was a bit different to write Warren because uh it was like uh Wow, what was that? Wind? Like I got a <laughs> Is that better? Oh yeah, that's way that's better. That's better. That's way yeah. better. Yeah. Um it was kind of a challenge because uh I was gonna do right by this guy when I said, Yeah, I'll write your life story. Um First, I asked him, why me? You know, he's like, well, I like your other, your other books that you've written. So um, he approached you or you knew him anyway? I knew him anyway. There okay. he is, Chef Curtis Stuffy, right there. That's my brother. And, well, and him and I had become such good friends that he said, well, one of the other reasons I want to, uh, I'm asking you to write this is not just because you're, he thinks I'm a great writer, but uh, he trusts me a thousand percent. And also that documentary that I mentioned for grace, it just touched the surface of his life. It didn't go too deep. And he always, that always kind of bugged him not to knock the documentary. It's still really good, but it's not, it wasn't really deep. It was more about building his old restaurant shit. Yeah. So when we started doing interviews, I did like 70 hours of interviews with him. And do you sit and take that like audio and then you transcribe it? Exactly right. Yep. So we, we, I, and I told him, I go, if I'm going to do this book, you got to be completely fucking honest, brutally honest. I want every dirty detail, every wart, you know, as a reader, you know, I read a book like, you know, uh, I, I, I won't name musicians, but I'll just say musician, fucking bios that I got right here on this shelf. They are fucking boring as hell. They don't want to <laughs> say shit. They just, it's a waste of fucking paper to me, honestly. What I want to read is what the, someone's been through, you know, even, you know, if you're, if you for better are a musician or, you know, or if you were, you know, did something horrible, um, whatever just come clean let me you know what people can learn from it you know so i told them just be honest tell me what you've been through and holy shit man just he did and it was it's really <laughs> it doesn't look it's really trivially small either man like that's a shitload of work you put in big time yeah. and and writing a novel for me was writing novels like fucking uh i i when i get in the mindset and my flow i could do a first draft of a book like that, that big, you know, like five, 550 pages. I could do a first draft when I'm really into it within three months, first draft, no problem. The book I did with Curtis Duffy after I transcribed 70 hours of interviews, that's a fucking <laughs> lot of talking. Yeah. Um, was how to put it together. It was sure. not like a novel. It was a, that was a fucking challenge and it's taken me, took me a couple of years to get where I'm at. I still wow. needed wow. help. I hooked up with this great editor who 
helped me really trim the fat and rearrange some things. And now this story uh, is like a page turner, you know, like the way, the way I, uh, my mindset is, um, I don't know how much like true crime you read or any other or memoirs or anything, but one of my favorite books is a book called Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi. And Nicholas Pileggi's Wise Guy is the book Martin Scorsese used for Goodfellas about Hen it's the life story of Henry Hill, the monster. Nice. Okay. And uh, the way Nicholas Pileggi wrote Wise Guy, which is a it, it's a memoir of of Henry Hill and the mob, was the way I want I went into it. You know, I'm using I'm setting up events and, and things in Curtis Duffy's life that, that went down as a narrator, you know, using my imagination and, and That's cool. novelist skills or whatever, and then weaving in his actual dialogue from his own mouth to tell the story and, wow, and, that's and crazy. shit. That's and cool. it worked. I'm really fucking proud of that book. So I got that that's with my agent now. Are you going to do more nonfiction? Yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. Are you going to do more stuff like that? or? Yeah, so, um, uh, well, aside from that book, um, I have another, I have a novel that's done that I, I got to finish editing and I want to give that to my agent. And that's just fucked up, horrifying Wagner fiction, dude. It's like, <laughs> uh, if you guys know, like I think of like the, the Thomas Harris Red Dragon, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. It's like Red Dragon, you know, on, I'll just say it's got, it's, it's like Red Dragon uh, on, a, on fucking Viagra. I'll just put it out there. That's what it's. <laughs> and it, you're it's, writing your fiction. It's you fucked up, dude. Through it, it, like, I mean, in the three months, do you already have it all in your head and it's just a matter of getting it on yeah. paper or does it evolve as you're actually writing? You know, um, like, I don't really, I don't use like a full outline like I where everything is going to happen this way but I do I do create like a a loose idea where I can kind of think I see the end of the of the story and the beginning and a couple of key things I'll put in between but other than that I don't break it down the the thing the, this might sound like uh, uh, I don't know, weird or, you know, and someone tells you like, oh, when I, you know, get high, I enter a new plane and I experience <laughs> this shit. Well, when I'm writing, man, I'm telling you, it's sort of like I get to, I channel this fucking get in the zone. Get in the zone. Yeah, it's in the zone. Exactly. Mm. It's in the zone and I channel what I'm writing and like, Dave, I'm telling you about I, how I don't outline stuff, but I'll have like character names and shit and I'll, and I'll have an idea what they're going to do. But when I start channeling and fucking get, getting in that zone, the characters, this sounds funny, but it's true. They start doing shit. I didn't see coming. They, they come to you know life. What I mean? Yeah. They come yeah, to they life. Come to life like, on their own. Holy fuck. And man, I can't put a price on that. Cause that's fucking par part of the joy I get out of being, being a, novelist and stuff so to your question warren about writing more nonfiction, um there's a i actually have a couple of opportunities coming up 
where I'm going to do a couple nonfiction books. And this is tied into a media company I started last year with a, a filmmaker friend of mine. He lives on um, Staten Island. His name's Frankie Nasso. He's a longtime music video producer. He uh, He's done like the last five or six Steel Panther videos. He's directed oh, nice. them, written nice. them. But he's also done... Um, a bunch of film work. He did a Harry Belafonte documentary that HBO bought and put out. Um, he's done some other independent films. He's a true filmmaker and he's a longtime friend of mine. And we decided let's get together, make a company uh, that can do film and book projects together. So um, my part of the partnership it's just the two of us is i bring to the table ideas um writing because some of the film projects it is either uh reality based which you could call nonfiction, and then uh, i'm also writing a series right now that's uh completely scripted and fiction and it's it's you know dark shit like like true detective and breaking bad type of stuff but uh, and then Frankie, his his part of the partnership, what he brings to the table is um, he has a production company. He's got um, uh, Buckwald and Associates uh, or his agency, and uh, he brings stuff to them. So it's like he has a built-in agent and uh, just really uh, re a real great team. Totally creative. We, we both agree on everything. It can't be garbage. So to that point, a couple of things uh, we're, we're working on now are um, a couple of true, true crime things we want to do, which are uh, I lo I love like true doc, docu-series docu type of shit. And that with shit. that, murder yeah, yeah. And we, we, our approach is to do it really original, um, neutrally you know there's no uh you know drama or sensationalism we really want to tell a story but with the with the with the projects we, we do um once we get um like someone that someone that that's involved in the case to sign off on it and every we try to make sure everything's legit instead of doing an unauthorized thing we try to do everything yeah, authorized. Yeah, yeah. but what we try to what we want to do is tie in the story in a docu-series type of thing that you'd see on a streaming service or something. And then I want to tie in writing a book about it. So cool. like with nonfiction, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I read like wise guy. I'm into true crime, whether it's, it's usually either mobsters or serial killers or something fucking macabre, you know? So, um, so, so as I, you know, talk your ear off. My point was, I I definitely see myself doing definitely more, do more. nonfiction cool. stuff. I only write shit I'm into as well. You know, I gotta be like, you know what I mean? If hey, if uh, I Jeremy, had, we should, uh, Jeremy, we should, we should talk after the show. Yeah, I, I'm working on some stuff too, so we should definitely talk. <laughs> oh, dude, uh, good. I I I'm here to help, dude. I've told fucking so many people to do a book with me and do it right about their life story. I've got photographer Ross Helfen. I've told him, dude, we should do a fucking book. He, 
Ross won't says he won't do one because like me, he, he would be brutally honest and he's not ready to be brutally honest as people that are alive that he talk about fucking wouldn't be too happy about what he'd have to Warren's say. already kind and, of balls deep, you know, aren't you? Uh, and then you know. my buddy, Andy Batty, I don't know if you know Andy Batty, he was mm -hmm. Hetfield's longtime tech from fucking Ride the Lightning through uh, Death Magnetic. Oh, wow. He was Hetfield's primary Never fucking did. tech. He's a very good friend of mine. I love that guy. He's my brother. He lit, he lived in the States for a while. He moved back to the UK. He actually started his career. He, he lived in Sheffield, England, and he went to fucking high school with all the Def Leppard guys. Oh, cool. So he <laughs> was oh, That's them. awesome, man. He was fucking on their crew when they just were playing clubs before they were signed, any of that shit. Pete Willis. Even through uh, fucking, like Pyromania and all that shit? Uh, right, I think right up until Pyromania. That's my favorite Def Leppard album, by I the mean, way. it's a good fucking album, dude. And, uh, and then he got the Metallica gig. And he also worked for that new wave band, Simple Minds, for back in the 80s, too. Uh, but anyway, he was real tight with Def Leppard because they, they all were, were they school were buddies. Too, weren't they? What's that? Simple Minds was huge, weren't they? I mean, during fucking their day. Super, super, yeah. super yeah. fucking huge. It's a um, different time to be in that type when of Andy, When Andy moved to the UK, I, um, I'll show you guys when I bring you to the other place, but I, um, I took a lot of his record awards off his hands. He wanted to just oh, clean cool. house because he was going to, he went back to the UK to take care of his dad who's got dementia, unfortunately. So he's like, I'm sick of material possessions. Take my fucking, here, you, you know, you want this shit. So I gave him some money. I got his history. I mean, like the Metallica shit that he had is just fucking, you, you'll well, see. Dude, but I mean, that's where we're headed it, next, right? Like, yeah, let's, exactly. Let's, yeah. Let's so the simple, the simple minds thing. Yeah. The words he's got, I mean, they were gold and platinum records. I mean, that band was yeah. huge. So yeah. anyway, <clears throat> the thing is off the record, Andy has told me fucking stories that fucking my jaw drops, man. My, I'm like, I mean, that was a weird, era. like it's quite, quite like, to be being a roadie and shit. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you're roadie, you're roadie for, you're roadie for Def Leppard and, and, and the shit Pete Willis did. Well, like, and he's not like a roadie is a relative term. Yeah. You're at the time I mean, too. You kind of work yeah. with the band and like, it's a, exactly oh yeah big time and uh partying it up well it was still it, it was still mysterious to be that you know in that world right it's not like right. you know yeah. mtv blew it up obviously years later but back then yeah. it was still you know you never saw the inside of a tour bus unless you were on tour right yeah. so right yeah or, it was or, that, it's like a magical thing yeah. Yeah. yeah or a friendly <laughs> female right so. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so all these guys, they have fucking history and they have these stories and I think they, they'd be great. But uh, like the three guys I mentioned, Andy included, despite how fucking tight we are, they just don't want to pull that trigger. They always talk. You know, well, people tell what? me, I yeah, want to hey, write a book, man. Well, I want to do a book. Well, let's Yo, do it. You got to uh, say, it. well, I'm not ready pulled. yet. Like. We'll Warren's talk, been Jeremy. Warren's okay, been let's talk. We'll, we'll talk after the show. So. <laughs> Brother. I'll give you the same deal I did with Curtis Duffy, man. Fucking 50-50. And I'll get this thing written and sold. You just got to fucking talk. 
See, that's what I told you, Warren. I told you that's what you needed the whole time. You can't sit there and write. You can't even write full sentences. (laughs) What are you talking about, man? (laughs) How do you know? I got half the fucking book written already. (laughs) I'm talking like with big words. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's big words. It's big words, bro. I'm just fucking with you. I know you're. Well, I think that would be great. So that's the type of shit nonfiction I like to write about. I like to write stuff I'm into. And, man, I'm into. Hey, Dave, uh, uh, make me look good, Jeremy. Make me look good. Just make it good. Hey, Dave, you just cut yourself out of it, so don't worry about it. God damn it. Yeah, well, hey, both you guys have been on the road. <laughs> Dave, really. you got I'm your backstory. You were you're a military kid. You've been lived all over the world and everything. Oh yeah, I got you know? a weird and backstory, then, but I'm very little of it had anything to do with being on the road. You know, yeah. <laughs> I did go to classical <laughs> guitar school though. Specifically, I realized years later after watching Crossroads, I was like, really, this is probably why. This is why when the first thing that popped in my head when it's like, well, I can go to college, and it's like, well, I gotta yeah. go to classical guitar, man. I'm fucking super- yeah. You know, because yep. classical beats rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't really. Like I would have been a much better guitar player had I never done any of that. <laughs> did you see that post uh, Steve I did recently? Uh, him and his band back in music school. Uh uh-uh. uh He posted like a week or so ago. I forgot he, what's. I forgot what's. Did you go to Berkeley? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like in Berkeley, and he had some in Boston Berkeley school. Boston band. They did a couple of gigs. It was pretty yeah. cool to see, man. He was a horrible did, influence. Did, I definitely did, looked at going to Berkeley. Like, I, Dave, all of, did you? I mean, did you ever do you look even at going follow to him music? on Instagram, Dave? <laughs> do you even follow uh, Steve I on Instagram? I think I do. I think I do. You think you do? Fuck. You know, when I brought up the subject, I automatically thought that you followed him on Instagram. I mean, I I think I follow Dave. his IG. Hey, <laughs> I get more. Are you, Dave? Are you a real Steve? by then or are you just like kind of like, i mean you know? you know i mean yeah but not like in a weird way i i know outside of shy boy and shit like i mean i know i like his david lee roth era stuff i've never sat and learned like how to a lot i mean until recently i probably couldn't have played a lot of that shit but i never it never was a massive yeah, Jeremy, you, you've actually hung out with steve right yeah, I did. Um, have, there's a picture I wanted to, to find that I wanted to give well, your, hold on. you. Been to the Harmony have, Hut? Have you been? Yeah. Have no, you been to I the have Harmony not Hut? been to the Harmony Hut. <laughs> dude, Fuck that, it. that like is one see. of our. Oh, uh, I would love to. Oh, go yeah. to the Harmony Hut, dude. I've dude, watched some of those things, and I've watched some of his. What like he's been streaming some stuff during quarantine, right? I like, and I've um, the, the, you know, there's Vice shit I've watched through the years. He's a massive influence, but it was I was always into heavier shit, right? It was a lot like. What Jeremy's describing is I, I was into heavier stuff, but that kind of thing was a massive influence. So I sort of sure, wanted to sure. shred, but I wanted to shred playing super heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know I Steve I has a copy of the Armageddon Chord, though. I know that Does much. He? Yeah. But Steve I's Harmony Hut was an inspiration when you see what I call the brutal barn. Like your guitars hanging up behind you there, Dave. Same, yeah. same shit. Yeah. He, Steve I for me. Yes, you would think I was a um, much more like deep Steve I fan, given that I have all of his guitars hanging up. Yeah. I love yeah. playing his guitars and shit. Those Dude, he's guitars awesome. Guitars are fucking great. I mean, you just, he, you just he, like his guitars. That's, that's I like him. I, mean, I like him. I've seen him play well, a lot. I know. A couple of times. He's really, awesome. But you really like his guitars. So. Yeah. 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 His, his, uh, there's no guitar player like him, man. When I was uh, when I was a teenager, every issue of Guitar for the Practicing Musician and Guitar World that had Vibe fucking read fucking every single thing. Uh, 
the 10 hour sounds that I just guitar didn't... lesson and shit. Yeah, and, that guitar you know, workout like, and shit. Just, yeah. uh, and, and, and the way he talked about stuff, like when he was a young guitar player, I distinctly remember an interview in the 80s. He's like, you know, I would just turn the volume up on my guitar and I would set it on the floor and I would just walk around it and let it beat back and pick like I'm like, wow, this guy's <laughs> fucking really and and every pretty much every album he's done, I fucking I, I fucking like. But I wanted to find this picture for your show guys to give you your producer, but I couldn't find it. But it was I was backstage in Milwaukee years ago for it was a G three tour with Satriani and uh and by and uh, who was the third guy on that one? Um, uh, Eric Johnson was the first one, right? I think he was. was it? Um, yeah. I, I believe it was Eric Johnson. Yeah, he oh, was wow. Eric Johnson. Oh, so it was, was the first one. Yeah, it had to been. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a while back. So, um, in God, fact, spectacular night. My good are shredding, man. Holy fucking good, balls! Yeah, my <laughs> friend. Um, I don't know if you guys know photographer Stephanie Cabral. Um, she's a really good friend of mine. I know her online. Yeah, I, we. She's Chris Broderick, uh, guitar player's girlfriend, as Are well. You def- hey, Dave. So you definitely follow her online, though, right? We're photographers, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> she's. <laughs> yeah, she's a sick photographer. But yeah. she used to work. She used to work at Epic Records. And she yeah, no, she, she, she hooked, no, she dude, she, me up. Yeah, she she definitely plays stuff. Like everybody, she no, yeah, she, stuff. dude, I mean, she she's definitely a, a very known photographer, dude. So. So she hooked me up when she was at Epic with every like Satriani show and Steve oh, Vai. Cool. And that's so cool. she hooked me up for that because I was such a, I love Satriani too. I love Eric Johnson, but Steve Vai is fucking God to me. And I, uh, I got this great picture. I got to find it for you guys because it's me in the middle of Satriani and Vai. And oh, I, dude, I remember telling my friend, I'm like, I'm like, hey, this is the real G3. And I'm like, what? <laughs> who the fuck are you who the fuck are you no but they are so fucking cool and uh, i just fucking love them so hey That's can awesome. we uh, I, I love fucking steve i so much so you think we, i swirl should, one of these guitars like we can get it to we can get it to mr vi as a donation for all of yes. this inspiration for the years yes yes we will so hey we should uh it can says we take, warren can i'm we... talking to jeremy <laughs> <laughs> i just got one thing i wanted to say though real quick Dude, hey, go for it go for it man uh, Dave, uh, I told you before this interview, I just want to reemphasize for the viewers, man, I'm, I'm with you on the love for Crossroads, the movie. I think it's <laughs> fucking great. I tell people about Crossroads and they're like, what, that Britney Spears movie? I'm like, no. I didn't even know fucking, that. Like, I'm just yeah, so it's fucking, they, they fucking lame. It, and, name, and I'm like, no, it's Steve fucking it guy. A- and it's a Britney so, Spears movie called Crossroads. Crossroads, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I look up IMDb and it pops up and you're like, that, that's the wrong Crossroads. <laughs> and, and dude, I'm telling you that the fucking story, the, the Robert Johnson shit, and then the devil's guitar player, dude, um, I'm telling you what, there's, there's that, that influence, that influenced this, this book. But when that came out, I would, you know, I'd rent Crossroads on VHS. I think I broke that. And I'd watch it over and over and over and over. The fucking guitar duel. Over, over, over. And then, like, I could, I could, 
you'd stretch it if out we, to where it gets a little weird mean, right before it. You right? and I could all the stopping. We could have a we could have a guitar duel humming guitar parts. <laughs> I mean, dude, he, as soon as he takes off his jacket, he wins that thing. It reminds me of the Karate dude. Kid fight because basically Vi already <laughs> yeah, won. Yeah. Vi had won that right when he takes off his jacket. That first lick yeah. does not get answered. He rips dude. through. Possibly just, the fastest, most spectacular dude. fucking shred lick of all time. Yep. It Everyone's does not clapping. even respond to He yeah. walks, takes that jacket off. And when he and, spins, he's already fucking Yeah, and it's it. like, it doesn't even I get got, responded to because it's the game is already over. I got, those are goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. I got just talking about it. You fucking get it. You yeah. get it, dude. Yeah, the game was oh. already over. We, I just made everybody watch it the other night. My brother's been staying here, and like, and it, I was like, Trey, you don't even know what this movie is, and he's like, Are you fucking kidding? You made me watch hey, this like a million times when we were kids. <laughs> they, you know, he does a thing where he's bowing at the crowd. <laughs> that part, and then, dude, how about right at the the last thing he does before Machio goes into his angelic fucking Paganini piece? Fucking remember, remember. Remember what? Yeah, he does that, and then he turns. He's got one is his fucking oh, rip right, hands right, in the air, and, and you can hear him going. Wham, bam. Oh, fucking hits that chord. Yeah, it was amazing. Fucking was amazing. Warren. Warren is sitting there going, "You fucking nerd, motherfucker." <laughs> no, no, I remember that shit. Yeah, oh, dude, dude, I can't. I, I dude, love it because. I can't. Jeremy, you actually took it and like you know you did a, you did a band, you did all this stuff. Dave, you just fucking had computers. You fucking. I jerk. went to class and until guitar. until you met me, <laughs> Yo. that's when your dreams Yo. came true about being a fucking rock star. That's right? true. He I'm said, not gonna he argue. He said classical trumps rock, man. I, so. I, I, there's no doubt you did help make my dreams come true. <laughs> but just remember but, that, all right? But I Jeremy, did go. Jeremy, to, Jeremy didn't need the help. You unfortunately. No, it's true. I went. I I realized I wasted many years. I have a degree in classical guitar. I studied flamenco for like a decade after that and all of it's completely useless like the my favorite guitar players when i talk to them i know more about music than they do but they just like they pour out awesomeness that just is oh, jeremy you should have you should have seen him on stage the first time when we gave him a guitar strap him on line check all right play something they just like look looked at everyone uh, 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 uh. oh <laughs> dude i might as well have been standing there completely naked with my dick in my hands <laughs> what, what, what do I what do I play? I mean, I don't know, bro. You're the fucking guy that's classically trained, bro. Play something. I did. I actually when I <laughs> for the clean sound, I straight went fucking blank, and so I played Asterius, and then and it, it, that got everybody's attention. But then Warren looks over and he's like, "Yo, motherfucker, Carrie King play clean with a pick <laughs> or with his fingers?" No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, "He's like, you're playing that with your fingers, aren't you?" Well, that isn't what AK needs to hear out front. Like you're just sitting here showing off now. Like so embarrassing. And so then play Royce, that app. Play that after you awful. check it with a pick, dude. Not before. It was horrible. That's awful. It was horrible. I was so embarrassed. Imagine the amount of practice I have put in over the last three and a half years, Jeremy. Imagine. Were that. you? Were you, uh, Dave? Were you uh, ever into like Segovia or Christopher Parkening? Oh yeah, yeah. All, those guys, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I had to too. play juries and a senior recital and stuff. I mean, I, yeah. was, I was a classical guitarist for a while, and in that, in classical school, I met. Um, uh, he goes by the name Ricardo Marlowe now, and he's like one of okay. the top flamenco players in the country. Oh, and yeah. I had never heard flamenco before. He was one of the first guys to ever transcribe Paco de Lucia's pieces. And so I got super into that because it's as close to like Yo, metal as you so get. So Dave, into, Dave, check you know, check this out, bro. Guitars and shit. Dave, after pandemic, 
I'm me and you are flying to like Italy or something, and you're gonna play flamenco guitar while I just pick up chicks on the street, right? It would be Spain. <laughs> Italy, and, Spain. It and, doesn't matter, bro. And I'm a gringo. Right? Amps, like Amsterdam. And I'm a gringo. We should, we, we should just do that someplace. Like, like do it someplace that they don't, you know, smack gringos around for trying to play for. Well, dude, listen, you'll be all right. I'll, I'll protect you. Don't worry. <laughs> I've heard, right? Like, you'll be sitting there playing with the flamenco guys, and uh, if you start, no, no. If you start to suck at first, like if you're not playing the right shit. Cause it's all rhythm and stuff. You don't have to sit there well, and sure. shred oh, like yeah. Paco, right? It's all about being on time and everything. They'll just kind of look at you. And then at, the second time you fuck up, <laughs> they just reach over and put their hand on your strings. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking brutal. No more. Bro. You're done. It's, it's so brutal. brutal. It's just like, okay, I'll go home. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Brutal barn. Let's yeah. go. Brutal barn. Let's, let's do this. All right.